Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we are here with Creating Confident Communication and we have our wonderful guest, Kelsey Jaker. She's a certified life coach, a grief educator, and a registered nurse. Her professional experience combined with personal experience as a widow and single mother of four boys gives her a strong foundation and unique perspective. Kelsey is passionate about providing support and guiding others on their grief journey. We are so excited you are here with us today. Thank you so much. Um, I was just so thrilled that we were able to connect and have you be a part of this podcast. Um, I was trying to go through how many years ago we met. We met on a cruise that was so fun in California. And uh, was it probably eight years ago, would you say? My youngest was probably about two, and you had your number three that was the same, around the same age. So I think it was about, yeah, I think it was about eight years ago. Wow, that went so quick. So anyway, at the time, I think you lived in California, so we became great friends. We tried to check in a few times to come visit, and and then I believe you moved away. So I, and, and we didn't get to really connect as much until social media. So I would just love if you were willing to kind of open up and tell a little bit about your story. I mean... Here, I feel like we have a friendship, but you've had something so amazing happen where you've been able to help others and share. Would you be willing to just start and open up a little bit about your journey from the time yes. we met? It all yes. changed. Well, yeah, I am so sorry, but someone let the dog out and she is scratching at my door. <laughs> like, hey, you know what? We, you are just fine. You know what we love as mothers and all of these incredible things is that we balance all things we have kids we have life we have dogs oh the dog's so cute yes I apologize oh, she can come she or he can come hang out with us yeah uh, this is Echo oh awesome yeah she's my grief puppy oh I love it we all need a grief puppy so yes. why did you yeah start with since we met um so long ago like what experiences what led you on this journey um so when we met, we had lived in California. So my husband, Colin, and I were both born and raised in California. All our kids were born there. We had, um, you know, all our family was in Southern California. We had plans to always stay there. And then um, it was in 2018, the end of 2018, December of 2018, that we both had a very strong impression that we needed to move we needed to leave California. And we were like, what? Like, that's so random and weird. Like, no, we want to stay. Um, but my husband and I had a very strong impression that we needed to move to Florence. And we were self-employed, so we could go anywhere. But we had no ties in Florida. We didn't know anybody. Um, so it was very specific that to where we needed to move in Florida. So what we did is we booked a, um, we found a realtor and we booked a trip out to Florida and um, we didn't tell anybody what we were doing except for my parents because they watched our kids when we told everyone we were going on a business trip, which I mean, it kind of was, it was just a little tiny like tiny Um, On our first trip out here, we actually bought a plot of land and signed a contract to build our home and um it was crazy like it was insane we had never been here before and we were like 
decided to move our family across the country. We knew it was insane, but it, we couldn't deny the that, you know, I say the spiritual prompting, but you can say the universe, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, was definitely telling us that we needed to make that move. So it was really scary. It took us a year to build our home. And in um, December of 2019, we moved our family from California to Florida. And then COVID happened um, a few months after we moved. And then um, in August of 2020, about eight months after we moved, our two oldest sons, Ian and Luca, were in a motor vehicle accident. Um, a pretty severe motor vehicle accident. Luca, um, there were six passengers and um, Luca was... 14 at the time, and he suffered severe, the worst injuries of, of all the people. And he required multiple surgeries, um, lots of physical therapy and rehab, very, very lots of pain. Um, so that happened to him. And then Ian, our oldest son, he was the only one in the cart that hit his eye. So both my kids were severely injured. So you know, they went straight to the emergency room and because Ian hit his head, they did um, a CT scan of his, of his brain and they discovered that he had a two inch brain tumor growing in his right frontal lobe that we had no idea existed. So here I am in the emergency room. Like I, I was in complete shock as to what had just happened. Right before the accident, I talked to my kids on the phone. It, um, it was in the evening and I called them. It was starting to get late and I called them to see when they like to tell them they needed to come home. And they were like, oh, we're just five minutes away. We're on our way. We'll be right there. And the accident actually happened about five minutes later, just two houses down from our home. And um, so it was just like, you know, and 30 minutes later, I'm standing in the emergency room both my kids getting whisked off to surgery, one of them with a brain tumor. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like, it was really one of those uh, moments where you're kind of like outside of your body, like you're kind of feel like you're watching a movie, like just in complete shock. Um, thankfully, Ian's tumor was benign and the doctor was able to remove it all. Um, but the neurosurgeon explained to us that because he had no symptoms and that tumor was probably growing for a while, that the accident most likely saved his life because they wouldn't have found it until it was making him sick. And at that point, it very well could have been too late. Um, so even though poor Luca, you know, poor Luca, he he suffered so in so much pain, but um, you know, that accident saved his mother's life and, and God really works in mysterious ways. So that happened. Um, and it's about four months. It was about four months later. Um, life was just barely starting to get back to normal. And then, um, my husband Colin started not feeling well. And, um, he was previously super healthy. Like we worked out at the gym together. Um, we were self-employed. So we like 
work together. And every morning our routine was we'd go to the gym in the morning and then we'd come home and start working. So like super healthy. And um, he wasn't feeling well. We weren't really thinking much of it. Um, after about two weeks, I was like, he was getting worse. And then he spiked a fever. And I was like, you go to the emergency room and just like get checked out. And so he went and um, he didn't come home. Um, he was admitted to the hospital. He took a turn for the worse at the hospital. He was admitted and they did, they started treating him for sepsis. Um, but it, the cultures ended up not growing anything. So they started testing, calling all these specialties, you know, doctors in all these different specialties to test all these different things. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. After 10 days, he was still in the hospital and he was still progressively getting worse. Um, they discovered that he had uh, leukemia, a blood cancer, an aggressive form of blood cancer. And did you say and, leukemia, an aggressive yeah. form of blood cancer? Okay, sorry, you cut out a yeah. little bit. Sorry. So, um, yeah, it was a, a leukemia, an aggressive form of blood cancer. And at that moment, I was still recovering from my boy's accident just four months previously. I was still recovering from the shock of my son having a brain tumor and this massive brain surgery. And I really didn't cope. I completely fell apart. Completely fell apart. I basically had a nervous breakdown and I couldn't get out of bed. And I so badly wanted to be there for my husband in the hospital. And I just couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't be there for my kids. I couldn't be there for myself. I was completely broken. And um, how long did this last? Um, it was like, I was like in a really bad state for about a week and, um, I so badly wanted to get out of this dark hole, but I just, I couldn't. And I just would, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. My heart was completely through the roof 24 seven like breath racing. Um, I was just in a heightened state constantly. And I was begging and pleading with God to take this away from my husband. Begging, because I knew that I wasn't able to survive this I was like I can't deal like I I can't do this like you're asking too much of me like take it away and he didn't and I didn't feel any better and my kids came in one day when I was laying in my bed and I was literally just like a shell of a person and they came in and and I could see the fear in their eyes and they were so 
we could see they were so terrified because here their world has turned upside down and everything that's been safe is now gone. Dad is in the hospital and we he has cancer and mom is like, like we don't know what's going on with mom. Like she's like a shell of a person. And I could see the fear in their eyes. And in that moment, I told myself, I'll be like, I don't know what you have to do, but you've got to figure this out because your kid can't lose both parents. So, but it was kind of an aha moment for me and things just kind of clicked. And I just realized in that moment that I needed to stop fighting with God. I needed to stop, you know, basically yelling at him and demanding with what I needed mm-hmm. and just trust him and go with his will, which was so hard, but it was essential. I couldn't survive fighting. It, it was actually making it worse. And when I did that, everything changed for me. My perspective changed and I started noticing God's hand. Instead of noticing all the things that were going wrong, I started noticing all the blessings he actually was giving us. I love that. People, what I was going to say is what we focus on growth. And I believe it's, I don't know if you felt that, but when I would, in times in my life, look at the negative, I'd see more and more of the negative. And as I would turn it over and look at those positive things, then I would see more of that. Is that what you were saying? Absolutely. So mind like defaults to negative, but we can, we can, it's a gratitude's a muscle that we need to exercise. And the more we flex it, the bigger it gets. So Whatever you look for, you're going to find evidence of. So when I started looking, I called it looking for the light. When I started looking for the light, the more light I saw. And light, you know, snuffs out darkness. So even though all these terrible things were happening, my husband was in the hospital for either six or seven weeks, like, that whole timeline is a little fuzzy to me. Um, but that first hospital stay and he came home, um, he was very sick. He was in liver failure and basically they couldn't give him any more chemo. And it was kind of just like, he begged them to let him go home because he had been in there for so long. And it was kind of like, okay, well, we're going to send you home and just kind of see where this goes. It could either go left where like your liver doesn't recover and the leukemia just gets stronger and basically you'll go on hospice or it will go right and your liver will recover and then we can continue with the treatments. And my husband was a great man of faith and he had no doubt that he was going to be the leukemia, no doubt. So he was like, send me home. My liver is going to get better. And I'll be able to continue with the treatment. And the doctors were like, mm, like they weren't so sure about that. And me as a nurse, I wasn't so sure about that either. But he had no doubt in his mind. And so they 
let him go home. And what he predicted would happen is exactly what happened. Like his body just kind of like he was so swollen and had so much extra fluid. And within the period of like 24 to 48 hours, I think he lost like 40 pounds of fluid. Wow. And um leg system just kicked in and the liver started healing itself and it was really miraculous to watch like the doctors were amazed I was amazed um and to him it was just like of course of course this is what happened like he never had any doubt um so he continued with the treatment um and then so and did you write about your story or share it at any point at this I did so I started at this point um, when my husband was first diagnosed, I had social media accounts on Instagram and Facebook. I wasn't like crazy active on there, but you know, I enjoyed dabbling on there and just keeping um, tabs with friends and family, especially because we had moved. And so it was a way, you know, to connect with people and keep in contact with what was going on. But my um counts were very very private everything was shut down like if I didn't know you very well personally like I didn't I didn't let you see my stuff yes um so I started posting on there just to keep family and friends like up to date with with what was happening with Colin and his progress and everything and um then one day it became very 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 clear impression to my mind like you need to make your social media posts public. And I was like, no, I don't want to. And I was being very vulnerable on there and kind of just sharing my heart. And, um, you know, it was hard for me to do that, even though my audience was close family and friends. For sure. And so vulnerability, that vulnerability is a hard piece. That's why my question was, when did you feel called to start communicating and sharing your message? So when I started, when I started posting about my husband and his journey, and then it was just like, after a few months, it was just very clear, like, you need to make this public. And Talia, literally, I would post something, share my heart. And I would throw my phone like across the bed and just like my face because I was like, like, it was so hard to be so vulnerable and just open myself that way. But once I made my social media public, I started noticing like so many people started following me. Like, I think my first thousand followers, I was like blown away. Like, what the heck? Like, I don't even know a thousand people like were they were they commenting or just following? No, they were both oh. both. I was just like, hey, like I'm just this, you know, regular mom, like and wife, and like why do people want to follow what I have to say? But I started receiving messages and comments and I realized really quickly that there were so many people in the world that were hurting and were struggling and could relate to our story and to what we were going through. Um, 
And so that was like very motivating for me to continue to do so, even though it was so hard to be vulnerable. I just knew if I, if, you know, my post just helped one person, like then it was worth it because I knew how hard it was for me and um, to know that you're not alone is everything. And I don't know if you, I I didn't get to tell you this, but my husband, TJ, after we met you guys and he knew Colin, he knew Colin and you, and he started following your story. And I hadn't, I wasn't keeping up as much. And there were times that I would see him and I, (laughs) TJ would go, listen, and I hope it's okay. I'm sharing, but he would like tears and you have a beautiful way of writing, but he'd, he'd be like, you have to see this. Like, and it was, I noticed just the way you were so raw and, and vulnerable and authentic and it just, it was almost like for him, he, he wanted to know, like, he wanted to know every minute of what was going on. You know, I'm sure that the other people were the same, but anyway, I just wanted to share what a, what a blessing it was even to him in him, to watch. We grieved with you. People were, were healing and grieving with you. Yes. And thank you for sharing that with me. Um, but that was the response that we got. We, we were all of a sudden having like thousands and maybe even hundreds of thousands of people around the world, complete strangers that were following our story and were praying for us and giving us messages of support and hope. And Kelly, I will tell you those prayers had so much power in them. And I know we still have people praying for us and I can still feel the power in those prayers. And there were days that I did not have the strength to pray for us myself. And on those days, the prayers of people around the world, the power in those prayers are what carried me through. And there was no doubt that, that we had angels ministering to us and helping us through our darkest days. Well, and I felt like I cut you off because you were talking about how he was starting to heal. And anyway, I didn't, I loved everything you're sharing, but I knew you were saying he went home, he lost the way his body was starting to heal. And then we got sidetracked. So sorry. So sorry. I, I'm a talker. So I'll like go off on tangents. Back to that. So he, body started to heal he continued with the treatment which was very very intense chemo it took a enormous toll on his body um but in October of 2021 so about 10 months after he was originally diagnosed he went into remission and um we were so excited and he still needs to continue with chemo but it was at a much lower intensity and and lower dosage right so um that was in like mid-october so november and december um he was in remission and then at the very beginning of january 2021 so exactly one year from original diagnosis um he got sick again and I took them to the emergency room and they did a scan and they saw that 
the leukemia had returned and it had spread to his liver. Mm -hmm. So we were, the doctors had warned us from the very beginning that if he did go into remission, which he didn't have a very good chance of that happening, but if he did and the cancer came back, that it would be almost fatal, like almost impossible to get rid of. So, of course, this reoccurrence was just completely devastating. Um, But Colin never lost his faith. He was like, it's okay. Like, I just have to go through this um, and I'll be fine. And 2020 was extremely difficult. He was in the hospital more than he was home. Um, and he had a slew of complications and, um, he almost died probably a dozen times. And as a nurse, I saved his life probably a dozen times. And when Um, when was this in 2021? And this was 2022 when it reoccurred, it came back with a vengeance. And how did you, how did you save his life? Um, there were multiple things that happened. I'll give you one example. He passed out in the shower. Oh. And um, I just happened to be standing right there. And he was getting ready. He had a doctor's appointment. And he was in the shower getting ready to go to the doctor's appointment. And um, He's like, I don't feel good. And I was like standing right there. And so I turned to like go to like support him. And he just collapsed right there. And Nelson is a big guy. He's six two with the chemo and everything. He put on weight. He was like 300 pounds. I'm a little, I'm little. I'm five four, 115 pounds. And I'm holding him and he had completely passed out and he's wet and slippery in the shower and he was on blood thinners um because he had had a clot in his brain and there's like so many things I also I also caught that um so there's just so many things but um yeah so if he had if I hadn't been right there he would have fallen and hit his head and he would have went out in the shower Um, But there were so many things that, like, because of my knowledge as a nurse and because um, I was just in the right place at the right time, um, you know, like, I caught things. And um, so 2022 was extremely difficult. And Colin, like I said, never lost faith. He... He believed he would be healed the whole time. Believed he would be healed the entire time. And um, until the day before he passed away, he believed that he would be healed. And when did he pass away? He passed away July 14th, 2022. And I, as a nurse, um, I would go into his like patient portal multiple times a day. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I would check his labs and everything. And I 
knew that even though the doctors weren't telling us, I mean, they were like, this is bad, but they were telling us like, it's not all hope isn't lost. Um, but I knew because I was seeing everything. And so the day before, so on July 12th, two days before he passed away, I actually went to the beach with two of my girlfriends and I hadn't been to the beach. We live right next to the beach and I love the ocean and I hadn't been all year because I basically had been with him constantly, but my mother-in-law was in town to help me with Colin and she came, she took the night shift at the hospital and she came a little bit early that day. So I left the hospital around 3 PM and I called my girlfriends up and I was like, I really like, well, let's go to the beach. So they came with me and we went ocean and it was like, felt so amazing. And I remember just feeling this like surge of joy and just relief and telling them like how amazing I felt. I just felt alive. And then we had this amazing, you know, swim and I went out onto the sand and I just broke down and just started sobbing. And they were like, what's wrong? And I said, he's not going to make it. And they were like, did the doctor say something? And I was like, no, I just know he's not going to make it. And that next morning um, is when the doctors came in and said, like, there's nothing else we can do. And you'll probably only have a few more days to live. So it wasn't until that day that Colin acknowledged that he wasn't going to be healed. And he said, I want to go home. So um, the doctors put in the orders to set up hospice and um, the nurses and everyone on the team worked really hard to get him home as quickly as possible. And Talia, they, when the, the ambulance came to take him home that night, they asked me if he passes in the ambulance, where do you want us to take him? And our house was only like 25 minutes away. And I was like, I don't know. Like, you don't think about things like that. You don't think like. And I was like, who wants to go home? So I guess take him home. And uh, so I sat with him in the ambulance and I was praying, like, please don't pass in the ambulance. And he didn't. He made it home and he was really out of it. But he was aware enough to know that he had made it home. And um, he passed the next day um, when I was there. He passed in my arms and our four boys were around him and his mother. And he passed very peacefully in our home. Which is probably exactly what he wanted, right? It was exactly what he wanted. And it was so incredibly tragic and so incredibly beautiful at the same time. It, it was hard to describe that experience um, and the conflicting emotions and like thoughts and feelings in that moment. It's really hard to describe. Well, it's interesting. I wanted to ask you what was the most difficult time or struggle. And I wonder, was this 
the time or would you say like caring for him as a caregiver? Like what was the hardest? I mean, I know it um, all be, I can't even imagine, but then being that nurse, right? Who was also caregiving for him. So that's a really good question. And if I had to pick one moment, I would say it was when he first got diagnosed and I was like, so broken um, because I was resisting what was, right? I was resisting our reality. And that didn't change anything. It just made the suffering worse that created these thoughts and ideas in my mind. And it made everything so much like more magnified. Um, so I would say that was the hardest. Caregiving was absolutely devastating because you're watching the person that you love most suffer and there's nothing you can do about it. And of course, when he died, it was so tragic. Like I said, it was also very beautiful at the same time because now he's no longer in pain. Um, and and I knew that he still existed. I could feel his presence, even though he wasn't physically there. I knew he was there. Can't even imagine what that felt like and what, you know, but I, I'm sure that your boys were so grateful to have that closure with him. And so grateful to watch it, a father who was strong in his mind. The whole time. I mean, that is a real gift. Um, do you think that they they learned that strength? I mean, I'm sure it helped influence your boys so much. What would you say was the greatest strength they got from this? The greatest strength, and I and I say this, I've said this multiple times. The greatest lesson that my boys got from their dad was enduring to the end. And that was the greatest strength that Colin had is he never was bitter. He never was angry. And he never lost his faith. And he endured to the end. Wow. Which is such and a wonderful quality. Yeah. You know, so that was the greatest lesson he gave the boys. Mm -hmm. You know, looking back, if you were to say just one thing to another mother or another widow or anyone who's grieving and struggling with what you went through, watching a loved one, um, caring, uh, taking care of a family, all of it, what would you say to the one person that feels like giving up, that can't leave their bed like where you were for a week because this was the reality? What would you say to the one? I would say, first and foremost, please know that you're not alone. You're not the only one that feels, because it's very isolating. It feels like you're the only one that is experiencing this or has experienced it. And I would say it's okay to feel the way that you do. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be in pain. Grief is complex. 
And it's a unique process and there is no right or wrong way to experience it. And it's okay to reach out for support, whether that's from family or friends or professional, and also to take each day as it comes. And sometimes it's too hard to look at the whole day. It's completely overwhelming. When that happens, you just look at the hour. And if that's too much, just look at the minute. What do I need to get through this minute? And to give yourself permission to feel whatever emotions arise. Healing takes time. And that it's a myth that time heals all wounds. There's no set timeline for me moving through grief. And it doesn't just get better with time. And I would say that you are stronger than you realize. And that with support and effort, you will find ways to navigate this challenging path and five moments of peace and healing along the way. I think those words are so beautiful. And I'm sure when you were in the middle of this, there was nothing that could <laughs> explain the pain and the things. But looking back, what would you say the gifts of the experience are? I mean, what is it that because we'd love to learn a little more about you. What is it that you share or your Instagram? How could we, how could we learn more and find, what do you do to help others now? I'm just curious how we can find you. Yeah. So um, my company is Rise with Grief. And I, I named it Rise with Grief because rising with grief doesn't mean that we forget or stop missing those who we have lost. The goal is not to get over grief, but to find a way to carry it with us while still living a fulfilling and meaningful life. Like finding a way to integrate the loss into our lives and allowing ourselves to heal and grow despite it. And so that's what I do for my clients as a life and grief and loss coach is I help them to process their grief and find healing and growth and a deeper appreciation for the love and connection that they share with their loved ones. Because that love and connection doesn't stop with death. It's still there. So if there's people that want to um, find me, my website is risewithgrief.com. I'm also on Instagram. Um, it's jager, J-A-G-E-R dot, uh, jager dot strong. Or on Facebook, um, Kelsey Jager. You know, it's interesting as you share this. I love it. Is um, sometimes we think, how could the hardest thing we've ever gone through be the one thing that we're called to help other people with? And it's like, no, I can't do this. But there's no one better to do it than those that have been through it and had that empathy and get it. Um, and I always love to share in this podcast, you know, that if we can do these things, if you can raise four handsome, strong boys and, you know, do get through with what you have. I mean, I remember as TJ and I had a conversation when we met you on that cruise, it was like, you guys were tan and fit, your husband's super strong and these darling blonde haired, cute boys, they had curls and surfers. I just thought... They're like living the, they're the perfect family. You know, you do this comparison thing in your head 
with life about, you know, all these perfect things. And little did we know that even a few years later that no one's perfect. Everyone has pain and struggle that you would go through something so difficult. And we just remember, you know, this part we saw, which was brief, but the strength, even the smile on your husband's face, just a good, solid man. And I'm just grateful for you taking time to share your vulnerability to help other people. Kelsey. Absolutely. And I do feel like this is my calling. I feel very strongly that this is what I'm supposed to be doing at this time and place. And um, it's such an honor for me to, to be able to help people during the hardest days of their life. And um, it's such an honor for me to have them trust me with their heart. And it's not a responsibility that I take lightly. And I do want to say, if there is anybody that is struggling with grief um, from the loss of a loved one, I do have a group coaching program that will be starting in a few weeks on September 12th. And it's um, in a webinar and it's 12 weeks and we will meet for um, 12 weeks starting September 12th for an hour every Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Um, and all the sessions will be recorded if someone can't attend live. And in those sessions, um, I'll start out with oh, some grief education. Um, we'll finish with coaching. And um, it will be a great way for someone that is struggling with grief to navigate and, and set themselves up for a path of healing and growth. And it will take us right up to the holidays, which is a very difficult time for most readers. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. And knowing you personally, I know you have so much to offer and share and highly recommend looking, looking at Kelsey and her website. We'll have everything in the show notes and we just want to humbly say thank you. And, and for those that haven't subscribed to this Creating Confident Communication, please do and share it. We're so excited to share these podcasts to help other people know that if we and all of all, everyone that's been on the show can share such difficult challenges and trials, and we're, we're getting the confidence to communicate and share our message, then we know that you can do it too. So Kelsey, we love you. Thank you so, so much for sharing with us. Thank you so much, Talia, for having me. Okay, well, we'll see you. We'll see everyone.